0: Welcome to Dire Trip, where we deep dive into all sorts of spooky, horrific, or just plain weird crimes, lawsuits, and strange happenings all over the world. Without further ado, let's get into today's story. Two women succeeded in carrying out one of the biggest politically motivated assassinations in our era, but did they even realize what they were doing? North Korea, the Hermit Kingdom, infamous worldwide for their seclusion, the mistreatment of their citizens, their threats of nuclear violence, and their circus of funny little leaders. Back in the year 2000, the previous ruler of the nation, Kim Jong-il, was still alive and well. However, he was getting up there in years. He knew that, sooner or later, he was going to have to decide on a successor. For a long time, it looked as if one of his sons, named Kim Jong-nam, was all set to take over the throne once he dropped. However, Kim Jong-nam wasn't all too enthusiastic about the idea. He told his aunt outright that he did not wish to succeed his father. Instead, Nam wanted to play around. And play around he did. In May of 2001, Kim Jong-nam was arrested in Japan at Narita International Airport, there with two women and a four-year-old boy that he said was his son. This North Korean man wasn't really doing his best to hide his identity, using a fake Chinese name meaning, I kid you not, Fat Bear, in a forged Dominican Republic passport. Safe to say, he stood out a little bit. He was there to have some good fun and visit Disneyland with, who was believed to be, his family. Instead, this arrest ended up humiliating his father, who soon even cancelled a diplomatic trip to China out of sheer embarrassment. After this incident, the North Korean upper class started pushing for one of the sons of Kim Jong-il's other wives, either Kim Jong-chol or Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-nam was completely exiled from North Korea, ending up in China, where he was occasionally a bit critical of his father's regime. Kim Jong-il eventually died, and Kim Jong-un indeed became the man to succeed him in 2010. Kim Jong-nam wasn't exactly doing all too badly, though. It was reported that he was living out in Macau with two wives and a mistress on the side, having at least six kids in total. Kim Jong-un, rather than change things up a bit, ended up being a man very similar to his father, gaining a similar cult of personality and iron fist type of rule. Eventually, Kim Jong-un started a purge, executing various North Korean officials who he feared might oppose him, including his own uncle. This is where issues with his big brother, Kim Jong-nam, were rekindled. Nam had always had strong ties to China. It was believed that, if North Korea were to implode, China would likely step in and appoint him as a new puppet leader. Kim Jong-un didn't want any prospective new leaders to exist, even if only hypothetically. Kim Jong-nam knew what was up and began to fear for his life. He started confiding to his friends that his end may be near. Duan Tui Hoang, born in 1988, was a Vietnamese woman who was looking to make some money. She was the youngest daughter from a family in a peasant village. She escaped from her family, going to Hanoi for high school, only coming back once every several months to visit. Eventually, she decided to move to another country entirely, heading out to Malaysia. Duan was an aspiring actress and singer, doing some modeling on the side. She was very active on social media as well, possibly aiming to be some sort of influencer. Another woman, an Indonesian woman living out in Malaysia named Sidi Aisyah, was also looking to make some quick and easy cash. She was a divorced mom working as a massage therapist in Kuala Lumpur. One day, during a visit back to her mom in Indonesia, she said that she had found a cool new job where she would act in prank videos for a Chinese company. Duan was recruited for the same job. As you might expect, this wasn't really a Chinese company looking to make these prank videos. This was a North Korean operation. The North Korean spies that made up this company decided to build trust with the two women by taking them sightseeing and shopping all throughout the country. After a while, the two women ended up working together. It's believed that they did not know that this Chinese company that they were working for was actually a front for a bunch of North Korean spies. The man believed to have been the leader of this spy operation was a North Korean man named Ri ju The spies seemed to be very skilled in foreign languages, with one speaking fluent Vietnamese, making it easy to lure Duan in. This same man worked at the North Korean embassy in Vietnam and also as an interpreter. Citi and Duan were asked to participate in these supposed pranks at least 10 times, usually being flown to various locations and asked to do random stunts for about 200 US dollars a pop. Usually, they would perform at hotels and airport terminals. One prank that they were often asked to perform would involve them approaching targeted men and putting their hands on their faces, sometimes even kissing them on the cheek, only to ultimately run away into the crowd. One day, after performing this prank numerous times, the two women were told that they now had a new target, a fat, bald man with a black bag and jacket. The man who fit this description was none other than, you guessed it, Kim Jong-nam himself. Kim was traveling through the Kuala Lampur International Airport on February 13th of 2017, following a brief visit to a resort island. At roughly 10am that day, he arrived at Terminal 2, only to be approached by the two pranksters. The women touched him on the face and ran away. Kim approached a woman working in the airport and told her that someone had come up and splashed some sort of liquid on his face. Soon after, Kim collapsed. A doctor who treated him at the scene said that he was sweating, in pain, and unresponsive. He was rushed to the hospital. He died about 15 minutes after the two women touched him. Little did he know, the two women were wearing latex gloves coated with a VX nerve agent, an extremely potent and deadly substance that was banned by the Chemical Weapons Convention of 1993. North Korea had always been thought to have a stockpile of the substance, never agreeing to the decisions of the convention themselves. Given that Kim was traveling under yet another fake name, it was a while before the Malaysian officials even found out who he was. It turned out that he had been using that same fake name for all of his online activity for a while now, including a Facebook page where he regularly uploaded his location. It's believed that spies from North Korea were using this to pretty accurately track down where he was at any given time. Once the officials searched his backpack, they found over $100,000 in cash and four fake North Korean passports all sporting the same fake name, Kim Chol. Security camera footage from the time showed that Duan and Aesya ran off to different airport restrooms after carrying out the attack. They then headed over to the airport taxi stand, where they left as quickly as they could. The North Korean spy group themselves headed back to Pyongyang immediately after and were never arrested. Duan later returned to the airport, looking for the others, where she was caught and arrested. Afterwards, City Aesya was identified as the second suspect and arrested herself. Her boyfriend, a man named Mohammed Farid bin Jalaluddin, was also arrested in order to assist in the investigation. Both women were charged with murder. From Aisyah's phone, the Malaysian police were able to retrieve a photo of the man called James, who they later found to be Ri Ju-woo in actuality. They searched for him, but he was already held up in the North Korean embassy. Both women said that they didn't even know the name of the man that they had killed, instead insisting that they were merely performing a prank for Chinese television. They said that they were each promised $100, but stated that the reason they didn't have the money on them was that the men who usually paid them weren't at the scene and they were unable to find them. Needless to say, this sounded suspicious and frankly ridiculous to the police that were interrogating them. An autopsy was conducted on Kim Jong-nam despite opposition from North Korean diplomats, but as they failed to formally protest, it was carried out regardless. They were able to officially confirm Kim Jong-nam's identity after a DNA comparison to his son. They found that his lungs, brain, liver, and spleen were severely affected by some sort of poison or insecticide. The Malaysian authorities were able to name the four North Korean suspects who fled immediately following the crime. Ri Ji-hyun, age 33, Hong Song-hak, age 34, Oh Jong-gil, age 55, and Ri Jae-nam, age 57. They asked Interpol for help in tracking them. Three more suspects were still in the North Korean embassy, refusing to leave. It wasn't long before a toxicology report found traces of the VX nerve agent on Kim's face. It was believed that two women were used in the attack so that each woman could only have half of the necessary dose on their hands, making it less likely that they themselves would accidentally die from the liquid. Sidi ICR reported that she actually did throw up in the taxi afterwards and continued to feel sick for some time, though. Luckily, VX degrades very quickly over time, and North Korea isn't believed to keep their stockpiles regulated, so the chemical was likely much weaker than it could have been. Still though, both women were now looking at a mandatory death sentence. A spokesperson for South Korea soon said that the killing was a naked example of Kim Jong-un's reign of terror. It was hard to ignore that this killing was even more chilling after the recent murder of Kim Jong-un's uncle. They felt that this clearly demonstrated the ruthless inhumanity of the regime. Vietnamese newspapers themselves reported on the incident but refused to admit that a Vietnamese citizen had actually helped to carry out the plan, instead only referring to Doan as an Asian suspect. They told the BBC that they weren't exactly forbidden to mention her by name, but they felt that her identity still wasn't completely clear and were waiting for more details before they would publish her name. On February 21st, 2017, Duan's father came out to the BBC and confirmed that she was indeed his daughter, but he asserted that she wasn't capable of knowingly committing such a crime. The rest of her family believed that she was somehow tricked into this as well, with her aunt saying, If she commits a crime, she has to bear it. We can't do anything, but I think she must have been tricked. One day later, officials did assert that the two women were indeed trained for their role in the attack, saying, We are very confident that it was planned and both are trained to do it. However, whether or not they actually knew what they were being trained for was not clear. The two women in custody still continued to assert that they only thought they were participating in one of their usual pranks. Some officials felt that they were telling the truth, while others felt that they were lying. On February 28th, it was confirmed that the two women, Duan Ti Huang and Sidi Aisha, were going to be prosecuted in court on charges of murder within the next few days. The North Korean government dispatched a high-level delegation out to Malaysia soon after. They asserted that the idea that they used the VX nerve agent in an assassination was absurd, saying that it was merely a ploy by the United States and South Korean governments to harm their image even further. They said that it was more likely that Kim Jong-nam's death was a simple heart attack as he was known to suffer from heart disease. The Malaysian government, however, denied all of these claims. In fact, they announced that they were going to soon cancel all visa-free entry from North Korean citizens over some very real security concerns. The North Korean ambassador, a man named Kang Chol, was asked to leave the country within 48 hours. The North Korean government responded by banning all Malaysian citizens in their country from leaving. In turn, Malaysia did the same thing with North Koreans living in their country. It was a mess. The authorities gave North Korea a bit of time to claim Kim Jong-nam's body. After several weeks, they took it back to Pyongyang despite protest of Kim Jong-nam's son. After this, both Malaysians in North Korea and North Koreans in Malaysia were allowed to return to their countries. On March 1, 2017, the courts concluded that Duan had indeed committed murder and should be punished by death. When asked if she understood, Duan responded, I understand, but I am innocent. So the court decided to hold off the trial until they could gather more necessary documentation. Both the lawyers for Duan and Citi stated that their clients planned to plead not guilty when the trial came. The trial began on October 2nd of 2017, with both of the defendants pleading not guilty. A government chemist confirmed that traces of VX were found on both women's hands. Claims that Kim had died of a heart attack were contested by the pathologist who examined him, saying that there was no evidence of such a thing. It was found that nothing beyond the VX contributed to his death. The lawyers accused the court of not showing all of the relevant video evidence. Some of the CCTV footage showed Aisha adjusting her glasses and touching her face after hitting Kim with the VX, something that she would have known she shouldn't do if she understood the true nature of the chemical she was using. Other older videos showed that the two women had indeed performed very similar pranks at other airports, further providing evidence that they didn't think anything was out of the ordinary with what they were doing. Both lawyers suggested that their clients were mainly scapegoats for the North Korean government tricked into what they had done. The judge, though, said that the two should have known that something was up when they noticed that there was no camera crew present and that there was nobody there to fill in the target on the prank of what had just happened afterwards. The country of Vietnam, feeling used after one of their own citizens had been duped into participating in the assassination, demanded an apology. In December of 2018, North Korean officials informally apologized to Vietnam for their involvement after threats to sever diplomatic ties. Two years after the crime, in March of 2019, Siti Aishya's case was dismissed and she was released. The Vietnamese government urged similar treatment for Duan Thi Huang. Duan, after hearing that City had been released and she didn't, didn't sleep for three days straight and her health started to rapidly deteriorate. This was a vicious cycle, as her health concerns just delayed any possible hearing about a release that much longer. She wouldn't be able to appear in court again until April 1st. When she appeared, much to her joy, the murder case was dropped. Duan instead confessed to charges of inadvertently causing injury by means of a weapon or dangerous means. For this, she was sentenced to three years and four months in prison. However, given her time served and that she was likely to receive a one-third reduction in her sentence, it was thought that she would be out by May of 2019, and she was. After two years in jail, she was finally released and returned home to Vietnam. Kim Jong-un still rules over North Korea today, continuing to use and abuse his own citizens and his officials with no consequences seemingly ever coming his way.